Well, hey, everybody, welcome to week three of our series, It's Not That Complicated. Whether you're joining us in person or online or on television or at one of the hundreds of prisons joining us right now, it is an honor to worship with you. Last week, I got an email from a man who spent 37 years in prison. He was at Marion uh, Correctional Institution and um, was incarcerated from the ages of 17 to 51 if you can believe that, was recently paroled, and he said uh, when COVID happened, we were not able anymore to worship together in our chapel experience, and so we thank God that Rock City provided its worship experience to our prison. Every single week, we looked forward to the service, and he said last week, I was at church at our Hilliard location for the first time, and the people around me must have thought there was something wrong with me because he said I was just, I had tears flowing down my face the entire time. And uh, church, you never know who it is you're standing beside. You never know who it is you're opening the door for. You never know who it is you might even give your seat up to. You remember when, when in, in church we used to have to give our seats up because there were just so many people in the house? We're getting back to that point. I, I can tell you uh, life is coming back. We're on the comeback. Any, amen? Anybody? We're on the comeback. But I just thought I would share that story with you. And then last week, obviously, Pastor Gerald, I thought he brought the heat and just, I mean, just preached an incredible message. I took so many notes. Um, I had a mentor once tell me that leaders are learners, and so you should never go into an environment where you have the opportunity to learn something and not have something to take notes with. So we give you uh, many opportunities. You have pen and paper in hand if you're in-house. If you're not in-house, you have the app available, the Rock City app. And if you've never taken notes on your app, even in-house, you can use the app. If you forget something or misspell something or you miss something, at the bottom of your app, there's a little uh, tab that says email me these notes. And when you click that tab, you get the notes emailed to you, not as you filled them out, but as they are correctly. Come on, somebody. You never have to worry about missing anything ever again. And then there's also space where you can take extra notes, and those will get emailed to you as well. But just a few of the notes I took from Pastor Gerald's message last week, I thought they were so good. I'll share them again. Number one, we're either gr growing closer to God or we're drifting farther away. There is no standing still in the Christian life. I love that. Or this one, following Jesus is costly, but he's worth it. Or this one, Jesus is worth the highest cost because he paid the highest price. Anybody believe that, that Jesus is worth it because he paid the, the highest price. He's worth the highest cost. If you're not intentional about building relationships that are pushing you closer to Jesus, you could be entertaining relationships that are drawing you further from him. I think Pastor Gerald preached one of the best messages I've ever heard him preach last week. So if you missed it, go back and watch it. You will be blessed. Quick reminder, in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're going to devote the entire message to answering your questions. Anybody ready for two weeks from today? The entire message will be devoted to answering your questions. Many of you have already submitted your questions to Rock City's Instagram uh, account. Let me just give you some of the questions we've received so far. How do I know if I'm called to be single? You might, have, you might get that answer today. Is it okay if couples don't want to have children? How about this one? My husband doesn't meet my emotional needs, but somebody else does. What do I do? Come on. That's a question being asked for probably more than just that person. Is it a sin together to live together before marriage? Is it a sin to live together before marriage? Does God love gay people? I'll go ahead and answer that one right now. For God so loved the world. God loves all people. God loves, you can put a blank after God loves, and you can fill that in with anything you want to. 
God loves. God loves. Period. No exceptions. God loves. God loves everybody. Amen. Is love a good enough reason to get divorced? I don't know if that means I love you so much I need to divorce you or I love the next person so much I need. I don't know which one. You can go a lot of ways with that. Um, Is sex before marriage okay if you know you're going to marry the person you're having sex with? Um, That's a good one. Um, Here's one. Why do you think the young men of the church aren't asking out the amazing women in the church yet are on dating apps and looking outside the body of Christ? Anybody want to know the answer to that one? I'm going to give you the answer right now. They're not men. Come on, somebody. They're not men. They're insecure little boys. They're probably addicted to porn. They're socially awkward. They spend more time playing video games than engaging in real-world, real-life relationships. Why? Because it's easier to be a boy and flirt with girls online than to become a godly man and to actually have a conversation with a woman. Anybody ready for next uh, two weeks from today? I could go on. I could go on and on. I I even put in my notes, the wussification of men in our culture is real. Come on, somebody. (laughs) There are more Peter Pans in the world today than godly men. Do you want me to keep on going? I could keep on going. I'm just answering the question. I do think, listen, I do believe there are a lot of strong men in this church. I really do believe that. So that, that's, this is an, indi- an indictment against all men. I do believe there are a lot of strong and godly men in this church. I also believe that this environment is the best environment for helping immature boys become grown and godly men. I really do believe this environment is the kind of environment where we can help boys become Men and I, I also think you know. Listen, we we serve a we serve a, a a manly God, a masculine God. He's a strong God. He's courageous. He's bold. He's decisive. He's fearless. He's confident. But at the same time, he's also loving and he's caring and he's nurturing and he's kind and and he's pleasant. And and listen, here, here's what I know: relationships can be complicated. That's why we're doing a whole series on relationships, but they don't have to be. Because when we do relationships God's way, relationships work. When we do life God's way, life works. When we try to do life our way, when we try to do relationships our own way, we tend to make a mess of even the most important relationships in our lives. But the kingdom of God is built on relationship. Amen? Relationship with God, relationship with his family, relationship with each other, relationship with the world. Our church is built on relationship. That's why we do small groups, because we know we need each other. We're better together. I'm not called to follow Jesus all by myself. I need some strong men and women of the faith. I need some strong men of God in my life. I need some strong people of God with character who can help me fulfill all that God has called me to fulfill. And you can say the exact same thing about yourself. Amen. We need each other. We were called to be apart, not remain apart from, but to be a part of the family of God. Amen. And it's so important that we remain a part of the family of God. It's so important that we remain connected. Why? Because if you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, this is the the theme verse for this series, if you will. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a culture that looks a whole lot like our own, a world that looks a whole lot like the world we're living in today. In 2021, he said this, that they knew God, but they would not worship him as God or give him thanks. 
So, so he's, he's speaking to a culture of people who would say, I know God. Most people in our culture today would say, I know God. I know about God. I might even go to church. Come on, somebody. But when it comes to submitting my life to God, that's where I'm not sure I'm ready to move into. When it comes to worshiping him as God, which means that I elevate God to the highest place of authority in my life. It means that God's word holds more weight than any other word. It means that God's will is more important to me than even my own will. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. In other words, we, we, we just come up with our own version of God. If God were really loving, he wouldn't put any conditions on me. If God were really kind and caring, then he would want me clearly to follow my own heart, my own desire, my own way, not his. But as a result of creating our own image of God, what happens is this, Paul says, their minds became dark and confused, and they claimed to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. Utter fools. I'll give you just a few examples from the headlines this week. Mainstream news. Should breast milk be called something other than breast milk? Or should we call it chest milk or human milk? Since it might discriminate against non-breast milk making people. Come on, somebody. This is a conversation we're having in the world today. As members of Congress continue to push for a genderless society, which, by the way, will harm women and children the most. Y'all do understand that. The removal of gender-based terms, his, hers, mother, father, brother, sister, man, woman, son, daughter. These are literally on the brink of legal distinction. Major colleges have decided that the term mother should be replaced with gestational parent father with non-gestational parent, even though these new terms themselves speak to the unchangeable truth that not any parent can be a gestational parent, but she who has been created by God and given the gift of a womb by God, capable of bearing and nurturing a child by God. Only she can give birth. Nobody else can give birth. But these are the conversations we're having in the world today. And if it's only the church left standing for truth, be it in contradiction of the changing laws of the land, so be it. We will stand for truth. The world is losing its mind. And we ought to be praying like never before. We ought to be fasting like never before. We ought to be resolved like never before. We ought to be committed like never before to not allow ourselves to fall into the trap that culture is building for itself. And I've had people ask me or say to me, shouldn't we avoid speaking to some of these issues because we're an evangelistic church? And I would just say this, that the voice of the prophet and the, the gift of the evangelist both come from the same God. And so to speak prophetically to the issues of our day and to to evangelize and reach people who are far from the Lord, to, to speak prophetically is not to deny evangelism, and to be an evangelist is not to deny the prophetic. We need both in the world today. We need both in the church today, lest we build up for ourselves a church of utter fools, as they instead became utter fools. As a result, because they did not know how to live, they, they weren't taught how to live, they, they could not determine right from wrong or up from down or left from right because, matter of fact, they're being now taught the opposite. They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And that's what's happening in the world today. We are trading truth for lies. 
And so, Lord, let it not be us. Let let, let us have eyes to see and ears to hear your word today. Let us be wise and not in our own eyes, but let us know the truth because it is the truth that sets us free. Oh, God, set us free in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, who's glad you came to church still? Come on, 11 minutes in. Some of you not sure. Hey, relationships can be complicated. We understand this life can be complicated. Marriage can be complicated. Dating can be complicated. The single life can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the single life. And so I'm, I'm curious, how many single people do we have in the house today? Raise your hand if you're, if you're single. Raise it high. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but for the first time in American history, there are more single people than non-single people in our culture right now. More than half of all people in in America aged 18 and over are single. So if you're here and you're single and you're looking for a prospect, you're not the only one. Can I get an amen from somebody? If you're single, this message is for you. If you're not single, this message is for you. Don't check out if you're not single. It wouldn't hurt you to understand something about more than half the people in this room. Come on. And don't deny God's ability to speak to every single person through the same word, but in a different way. Not not a different truth, but God has the ability to take one word and, and to speak something unique to you as he is speaking something unique to the person next to you. He can take the same word and he can transform every heart, whether you're single or you're not, whether you're single or you're single again, or you're single again and again and again, it does not matter. God has a word for you, so lean in. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be married, and I don't want you to miss that week. If you're single, lean in, no matter where you are in life. The first thing I want you to understand, if you're single, maybe you're in high school, you're single, or you're in college and you're single, or you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or again, you're single again but you're single. The first thing I want you to understand is that singleness is not a sickness, it is a season. Singleness is not a sickness, it's a season. It might be a season that lasts a lifetime, and I know that's not what you want to hear today, but it is a season, and I don't have an answer to fix your singleness issue because according to the word of God, singleness is not an issue to be fixed. Matter of fact, even more than a season, what singleness is, is it it is an incredible gift from God. Singleness is an incredible gift. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. We're going to look at the word of God, and I want to just share with you two people in the Bible who either write most on this topic or speak most to this topic or uh, who are quoted the most throughout the scripture, and wouldn't you know they're both single? Maybe you've heard of the first one. His name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Jesus was single. And how many of you know he was not an incomplete man because of his singleness? Jesus was not incomplete. Jesus was not sick. Jesus was and is the most complete and whole, not sick man ever to walk the earth. And Jesus was single and Jesus lacked nothing. Amen. Now, the other is the apostle Paul who wrote nearly half the New Testament. He was the greatest, is the greatest church planner ever to live. And I want you to hear the Apostle Paul's word, the the most eligible bachelor in the New Testament church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, some of you don't even know this is in your Bible, but he says this, I wish everyone were single. I wish everybody were single, just as I am single. 
Now understand, this is a controversial word, a controversial and countercultural statement given by the apostle Paul in a culture that glorified marriage. But what Paul is saying is, hey, I want you to understand that marriage is a gift, so we ought not deny the gift of marriage. But right beside marriage is something called singleness, and singleness is also a gift. I wish everybody were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. It's not a sickness to be cured, yet how often, especially when you're single, do you show up in a small group, or do you show up at church, or do you show up at a family function, and, and it seems like everybody in your family and everybody in your small group and everybody in the church is constantly trying to fix your singleness issue. Like there's something wrong with you. Yet according to the Apostle Paul, this is not a, a season to bemoan or to begrudge. Matter of fact, if I could encourage you and challenge you as we do in every season, but particularly in this season of singleness, what if you were led by the Spirit? What, what if you allowed the Spirit of God to lead you in this season instead of being led by your desire to not be single? Because that's when you'll compromise. Instead of being led by your sex drive, because that's when you'll compromise. Instead of being led by your friend's desire or parent's desire or small group's desire to see you hooked up with somebody, if God's not revealed that somebody to you yet, what if you, you didn't just jump into a relationship to please somebody, but instead you said, I will be led by the Spirit and I will trust God in my season of singleness. What the Apostle Paul does is in his next few words, he lays for us some vision for the single years. Matter of fact, I want to offer you a fourfold vision to hold on to during the, the season of singleness that maybe you're in. Some of you may find yourself in a season of singleness Again, we, we have a, a woman on our staff. I think she turned 90 this year. If not, she's close to turning 90. And she uh, recently told one of, our, one of the women on our staff, she said, you know, I never thought that the Lord would allow me to be single again. I, I think she was married to her husband for more than 60 years. She said, I never thought I would be single again, but I'm finding that I've got a lot more time now that I can give. And I'm finding that I can, I can do a whole lot to advance the kingdom of God because I'm just not tied down anymore. Come on, somebody. I mean, maybe she didn't quite say it like that, but, but she's, she's acknowledging the gift of these newly found single years, and she's in her 90s. From one of the most eligible bachelors in the New Testament, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I wish everyone were single just as I am. I want you to live as free of complications as possible. When you're unmarried, you are free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you in all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. Can I get an amen from some married folk in the house? Come on. So many more demands. The time and energy that married people spend on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming whole and holy instruments of God. I'm trying to be helpful and make it as easy as possible for you not make things harder. This is the Apostle Paul, and I want to again unpack for you four, a fourfold vision for 
your single years. Because where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, verse 18, the people perish. And so in every season, we need vision. We need vision in every season, but I would say particularly in the most formative years of singleness. And, and, and what, what does Paul say first? He says, I, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. What is he saying? He's saying, be single and be simple. Let your single years be simple years. Doesn't, doesn't say let your single years be easy years. He's saying let your single years be simple years as free of complications as possible. Let your single years be focused years. While, while all the married people spend all or most of their time on each other and on the family and on raising kids and on compromising their schedules because that's what marriage is. It is one big godly compromise, not in a negative sense, but in a godly sense, where two become one. And anybody who's married can attest to this. Two becoming one is hard work. Two people deciding where to go to eat is hard work. Two people deciding how to raise your kids, it's hard work. Two people getting on the same page with anything, it's often hard work. And so Paul is saying, listen, while, while you're single, keep it simple. You don't have to worry about any of that. And maybe instead of spending all of your time trying to find the person you're hoping to find, how about you spend this season becoming a person worth finding? Becoming. While married people spend most of their time making the marriage work, the unmarried can spend becoming. What if you used your single years becoming all that God has created you to be, strengthening the gift of God inside of you, developing your spiritual gifts. Living out Jude chapter 1, build yourselves up. There's no better time to build yourself up than when you're single. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. Now, I've always thought it interesting how cities will bid for the Olympic Games because when you bid for the Olympic Games, you are, you are making an incredible investment. There is development and there is preparation that goes into hosting any Olympic Games. Matter of fact, I have a friend who pastors in Birmingham, and, and these four main points, actually, I just pulled them from, from a message that he preached. So that's just what we do sometimes in the church. We just use each other's stuff sometimes and and he was he was saying that in the city of Birmingham that they, they, they won the bid to host the world games in 2021 now if you want to know what are the world games the world games are basically all the games that weren't good enough to make the Olympic games so just like kickball and stuff you know it's not in the Olympics but it's in the world games and he was saying the city of Birmingham won the bid to host the World Games in 2021, but, but he said the win for Birmingham wasn't to host the games or the games themselves. The win in Birmingham was in the four years leading up to hosting the games because he said there's so much development and infrastructure and there are so many updates being made in our city. He said we've literally dug up old highways and we've built new ones. We've, we've built new 
new stadiums, we've erected new arenas, the whole city is getting better. Why? Because they embraced the season before the games to become a city worth hosting the games. And so what if we approached our single years with the same mindset? That instead of despising this season, if this is a season you're in, and you will despise a season if you view it as a sickness, but if you view this season as a gift, instead of despising the season, what if you embrace this season and said, whatever God you want to do in me, whatever character you'd like to build in my life, whatever gifts I can begin to strengthen, whatever issues God you'd like to begin to work out of me now before I get married, what if? we together made this season the most productive season where I become a whole lot more like Jesus than anybody else. Come on. And so my, my encouragement to you, if you're, if you're single and you're in high school, don't rush into dating. You don't have to date in high school. If, you, if you're single and you're in college, you don't have to date anybody in college. You can, but you don't have to. Don't give this season just away to anybody. I would encourage you to be selfish about this season because the fruit of your single years will be produced and reproduced throughout the rest of your life. So don't just let anybody sow seeds into your life in this season. Be led by the Spirit in this season. Here's the second one, single and seeking. Paul says you can, you can in this season, you can concentrate on simply pleasing the master. I mean, look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said in verse 33, but seek first a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, but seek first a life partner, but seek first marriage. No, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's all I'm going to say about point number two. Anybody like when we get through a point in 60 seconds or less? Anybody? <laughs> Because you were doing the time. Okay, if point number one took us this long, then, then point number two, okay, we're going to be here all day. Here's the next one. Single and set apart. Single and set apart. That while all the time and energy that married people spend on caring for and, and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming, I want you to say these two words with me. Ready? In becoming whole and say it, holy. Say it again, whole and holy. You know what the word holy means? The word holy means to be set apart. It means you don't have to look like everybody else. You don't have to do what everybody else is, is doing. God's not made you to look like everybody else. Come on, somebody. When you're saved, you're called to look like Jesus, not like everybody else. And I think we need to understand that this concept of dating, the, the concept of dating that most of us have grown up in, it's really a relatively new concept that it wasn't really until about the 1950s or so that, 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 you know, boy shows up in his car and pulls in front of somebody's house and girl runs out and jumps in the car and they just take off and that's called a date. Matter of fact, until about that time for thousands of years, how people would move together toward marriage was, was, was through something called a courtship. And the families were involved on both sides. The fathers were involved. The mothers were 
involved. And I know some of you might say, well, this sounds a bit old fashioned in today's world, but, but church, I, I think it's a lot easier for some guys to show up at a house unannounced, daddy's home, but he doesn't know the guy that's just showed up to his house. I think it's a lot easier for a lot of young men to, to literally take somebody's daughter out for a test drive than it would be for him to take the daughter's daddy's car out for a test drive. I want you to think about that. Because if it's my car you're talking about, boy, I don't know you, and I don't know if I know you well enough to to give you the keys to my car, but if it's my little girl we're talking about, go ahead and have some fun and be home before midnight. A lot of dads don't have any clue who their daughters are spending time with. A lot of mothers have no clue who their daughters are spending time with time with. And I just want you to know that this is a relatively new concept, that families were involved. Fathers were involved. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons I believe we're seeing such a shift in our culture and attempt to eliminate terms like mother, father, man, woman, son, daughter, it's because the first thing that got established after creating the heavens and the earth was man and woman. He performed the first marriage. He formed the first family. He blessed the first father. He blessed the first mother. And to eliminate distinction is to deny God's creative sovereignty and our own God-given identity. What does the enemy come to do? He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the author of confusion. He does not want you to know who you are in Christ. He does not want you to know how perfect God has already made you. He does not want you to know how special you are. He does not want you to know the incredible gifts that God has placed inside of you. And in a time where we need more godly fathers and more godly men and more godly mothers and more godly women, we're saying, in essence, to hell with moms and dads, to hell with men and women, to hell with what God has established and created. There's no such thing. And matter of fact, if we really want to identify what's wrong with the world, the nuclear family is what's wrong, and strong men are what's wrong. To hell with biology and science and common sense. Let's mutilate our children and make it legal. Let's steal, kill and destroy and our minds have become dark and confused and I want you to understand it has long been our enemy's stated goal. He's relishing in this moment. He feels like he's winning in this moment. And yet what did Jesus say? Jesus and I have come that that you may have a life in life to the full. What did Jesus say? And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Fathers were involved, mothers were involved, families were involved. Now we've even moved beyond dating into a hookup culture, a swipe right culture. I I don't even have to date you to get what I want from you. Come on, somebody. And I want you to know what's wrong with this is that we play like we practice. We play like we practice. And so what happens is if you spend all your single years using men to get what you want or what you need from them or using women to get what you want or what you need from them, if if you spend all your single years just sort of playing house, I'm going to live with him, but if it doesn't work work out, then I'll just move out and move on and maybe I'll live with him for a few years and, and I'll move with him or her for a few years. And what happens is when you spend your life, your single years practicing this way, what makes you think you're going to approach your marriage any different 
that now you're married, but, but you've been practicing moving out and moving on. So what's the first thought you have when we just don't seem to get along? I, I'm going to move out and move on. You've spent all your single years learning how to manipulate your sex partner to please you. What makes you think you'll be any less selfish in your marriage? We play like we practice. So if I can encourage the the women in the church today, boyfriends don't get husband privileges, and if they demand them, cut them loose. God's got somebody better for you. And if I can encourage the men in the house today, come on. It only takes the wisest man ever to live in the book of Proverbs, all but two chapters, to say, flee from the seductress woman. She will drag you straight down into the grave. She, she smells good and she looks pretty, but she's full of venom. Run, flee from sexual immorality. We play like we practice. Purity may be unattractive to some of the people you'd like to date, but it's not unattractive to God. And if purity is unattractive to somebody you'd like to date, then you might be liking to date the wrong somebody anyway. Number four, single and serving. Single and serving. The time and energy that married people are spending on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming Not just whole and holy, but watch this. In becoming whole and holy instruments of God. The time and the energy. When I hear a single person say, I'm so busy, can you just hear the word of the Lord today? (laughs) No, you're not. When I hear somebody that doesn't have kids say, I'm so busy, can I? Listen. (laughs) You have more time on your hands in your single years than any married person has. And if you're married without kids, I'm telling you, if you have less time when you're married, you have no time when you have children. And yet the fruit of our single years will be produced and reproduced throughout the rest of our lives. And so what if we approached the single years as the most formative years that they are and we spent them becoming the men, the women that God has created us to be? The Bible says the righteous flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon wind. When they master the art of video games, (laughs) all alone in the basement of their mother's house, no, (laughs) no. When they're planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They they will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. I'm telling you, David, who wrote this psalm, must have been on WebMD like I was this week because I read on WebMD a study by Duke University over the course of six years said this, I quote, people who attended religious services at least once a week were 46% less likely to die during those six years. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh 
and green. He must have known about the study done at Ohio State in 2017 that said, and I quote, churchgoers can expect to live up to nine years longer than their more secular peers. Come on, somebody. That was done at Ohio State, 2017. Why are we planted? We're planted on purpose. We're planted for purpose. We're planted to make a difference. We're planted to to become. We're planted to grow. We're we're, we're planted to advance the kingdom of heaven. We're, We're planted to make heaven full. We're planted to reach people who don't know Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're planted to make ourselves available to the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and all around us. There's no better time in all of your life than when you're unattached and you're free to be used as an instrument of God to make a real and eternal kingdom difference as part of a local church. And I would encourage you to make yourself a part. Because you never know that maybe instead of staying at home and playing video games or going to the bar on on Thursday night, maybe what you might find is while you're serving and you're making a difference and you're not being selfish and you're being led by the Spirit and, and you're leading people into a relationship with Jesus, you might pause for a quick break and look to your left or to your right and somebody might be standing there that you've never noticed before. Or maybe they've never noticed you, but you're doing the same thing and you're living for the same thing. You're living for the same cause. You're living out your purpose. You're putting Jesus first. The Holy Spirit is evident in your life. You've got character and she's got character and and you've got got courage and he's got courage and, and there's a sense of godliness in your life and there's a sense of godliness in her life. You've got the same ideals and you've got the same thoughts and you've got the same passions and you serve the same God and you've got the same spirit alive inside of you and you just might realize that the fastest way to get to where you hope to be is by choosing daily to submit to the spirit of God who is already in your future ahead of you. He's already got a plan and a purpose for you and following him is the best way to fulfilling the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. Amen. Not chasing girls, not chasing guys, not wasting time, not playing house. If you view your single years like a sickness, you will treat them with contempt. But if you view your single years as a gift, you will seize it and you will be seasoned in this season and you will grow and you will become as you're planted and you will thrive and you will make a difference and you'll find the greatest fulfillment in life. It's never wrong to put God first, by the way. It's always right to put God first. He always has a way of taking care of all the details in our life. And I've always been a firm believer that until I can, I can take care of the season I'm in, un, until the work of the Lord is finished in this season, I can just about forget about the next season. So is there something in this 
perhaps prolonged season that I can be learning? Is there anything perhaps in this this prolonged season that God, you're trying to, to teach me? Is there a reason for the season I'm in that I'm not seeing, but by your spirit you might reveal to me even in this moment? Is there something that I'm being prepared for? Is, is, there, is, is there something about your heart and is there something about your character that you're trying to literally put inside of my heart? Because I'm confident of this, church. Whatever season you're in, I'm confident of this. He loves you. God loves you. And I think it's so important as a church that we understand that, that Jesus, again, he said, they will know you by the way that you love me and the people around you. You will be known by your love. So we, we, have to, we have to be known by our love. God loves you. I don't care if you want to disregard everything else I've said today. Don't disregard God loves you. We have to be known by our love. We're not going to convince people to Jesus. We're not going to convince a fallen world to Jesus. We're not, we're not going to win the argument, church. Only the Spirit of God can change a person's mind and, and heart. We've got to love people, but we also have to declare truth where truth is not being declared. We have to do both. Jesus said, I've, I've come full of truth and full of grace. He, he, he had both. He, he was, a, he was a, a perfect grace man. He was a perfect truth man. And we've got to find a way of being both ourselves. Truth is something we can sometimes struggle with. And maybe you're struggling with something that I've said today. I want to encourage you. It's okay to struggle with truth. It's okay to wrestle with truth. But can I just encourage you to not not wrestle with the love of God. I'm telling you, he loves you. Don't, don't think it's not for you. I'm telling you, he loves you. Don't think you're too far gone. I'm telling you, he loves you. Don't think you have to agree for him to love you. I'm telling you, he loves you. No matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or where you stand today, I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. And he showed us his love. Why? By giving his life for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is how he proved his love for us. God didn't say, let's wait to see how people will turn out so that we can know later if they're, if they're worthy of our, our, my, my death on the cross. No, Jesus said, I'm giving my life for them even, even if they prove to be unworthy. No, they're not unworthy. It doesn't, it's not about what we do. It's about what's been done for us by Jesus on the cross. So if you could do this, would you just close your eyes and pray with me right now? I, I don't know if you're in a se season of singleness. I don't know what, 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 what your season looks like. I don't know what truth you might be wrestling with. But, but can I just right now, could we right now just focus on the love of God? That you love us, God. Thank you for loving us, God. And by the way, thank you for loving not just your church, but the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loves the world. For God so loves the world. It is the desire of God that no one would perish, but all would come to repentance through Christ. For God so loves the world. So may we be known for the love of God. 
And Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not feel loved by you, if there's anybody here today who would say, I don't know if I've been forgiven of my sin, I don't know if I've experienced the love of God, and I'm not sure if I've truly put my faith in Jesus, would you just pray right now this prayer? Say, Jesus, I need you. I trust you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for being raised from death to life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. As I commit to follow you, to live my life for you. And I want to be known in life for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.